0: Okay. Uh, Let me ask some of the children in here. You you guys are going to have to help me a wee bit this morning, okay? And uh, fall asleep in between the rest of it. No, you you can keep with it. What, uh, What makes you angry? Tell me something that would make you angry. Straight away. Go on, Sophia. Someone who hates you. Okay. That makes you angry. Yeah, it makes me angry. Elsa. Someone teases you. That makes you angry. Oh, I'll have to be really careful, Catherine. Your brother, okay? Yeah, I can see that one. Who we got here, okay? When James annoys you, annoys you by wearing a really colourful shirt. No, Lucas. What makes you angry? When somebody annoys you, okay. You are, you're a sensitive lot. When someone annoys you, you get angry. There are things that you get angry about. Well, I'll tell you something about, that made me angry yesterday. I drove down to Edinburgh with Annabelle. We have a son called Andrew, and we kind of missed him, so we thought we'd go down and see him. And we got to a place called the Fourth Road Bridge. Any of you been on the Fourth Road Bridge? Plenty of times, says Fred. Plenty of times. Well, we got on the for- How long does it take you to get across the Fourth Road Bridge in your car? About a mile. How long, though? time-wise. Maddie? about five minutes. Well, we approached the fourth road bridge and we got stuck in a traffic jam. And we were there for half an hour. And the radio said it'd be 40 minutes. And we were there for 40 minutes. And then we were there for an hour. And then we were there for an hour and a quarter. And then we were there for an hour and a half. And then we were there for two hours. And so I was getting really annoyed. You know that's that's something that really does annoy you. It really upsets you. It really uh, goes for you. But then eventually we got out and we got to Edinburgh and we got to see Andrew and we came back the long way round via Sterling. Um, so you'd think, well, is it right to be annoyed about that? But then I saw on the news about somebody who was in a car, but they had a car crash and they had died. And I started thinking, why am I getting annoyed about something as little as that? Sometimes we get annoyed about things that are not really all that important. Well, I don't know what concerns you just now, I don't know what makes you happy just now, but I know this, that there are a lot of important things that sometimes we don't think about and we really need to think about. And we're going to read part of the Bible just now. adults and children. are going to look at part of the Bible, and it is uh, telling us about what we are like as human beings, and it tells us some really bad news, and it tells us some really, really good news. So we'll read it uh, in Ephesians chapter 2. It's up on the screen. I'll read it out just now. And it's, it's quite difficult to understand, so if you, if you listen carefully, most of you are smart enough. You should be able to under, grasp it and understand it As for you, and Paul is writing to a group of people in a church in a place called Ephesus, which is in Turkey, country we were just praying for. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. (coughs) All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Now, I want uh, all of us, especially the boys and girls, as we look through this, every now and then I'll, I'll stop and I'm, we'll try and uh, maybe explain it. And if you've got questions and stuff about it, you can ask me at the end, or better still, ask your mum and dad. And if they don't know, then you have to send them to see me, okay? That's the way it works. Well, I think this passage that we've got here is incredibly pessimistic. It's so pessimistic that for most people, it is, it is unbelievable. It is also incredibly optimistic, and it's so optimistic that, again, for most people it is unbelievable. It's part of Paul's prayer. Paul in Ephesians 1 has been issuing this prayer, and it's unfortunate, really, that the, when the Bible was drawn up, it wasn't drawn up in chapters, and when the chapter numbers are put there, they're there really just to help us find the text. But when the chapter numbers are put there, we think this is a new uh, thought, a new beginning. And in Ephesians 1 and 2, the, the gap between it's not a new thought. He's just been in Ephesians 1 talking about the power of God, and he now goes on to say, but you've experienced that power, and you need that power. There's not a disconnect between chapter 1 and chapter 2. This is a description of all human beings. He he begins by talking about what we were or what you are. Now you you will find this really hard. If you're not a believer in Jesus, you will probably this is probably the most offensive thing that could ever be said to you. But I'm gonna ask you to bear with it and and hang with it. Um, it is very, very important that we grasp it and get the whole picture. As for you, he says, you were dead. Now, any of the children will immediately recognize, wait a minute, there's a problem here, because he says you're dead, but I'm not dead. I'm alive. Paul says you were dead, and he then talks about in ways you used to live. How do you have these two things together? How do you say someone's dead, but they're also alive? And let me explain it in this way. When someone says, I do not see, it does that mean that there is nothing to see or that they are blind. When someone says, I didn't hear that, does that mean that there was nothing that was said, or that they are deaf? When a human being says, I don't see God, I don't understand God, I don't feel God, I don't know God, does that then automatically mean that there is no God? Because an awful lot of people act like that. An awful lot of people say, well, because I don't experience, because I don't see, because I don't feel, then it means there cannot be. But if you think about that, that is just a daft way for us to think, and it's a very, very arrogant way for us to think. (coughs) God says to us that He speaks to us through His creation. He speaks to us through our conscience, and He speaks to us through His Word. But we don't listen. And why don't we listen? Paul gives us the answer it is that we didn't want to listen because we are dead. And he uses the expression, we are dead in trespasses or transgressions and sins. Two different words, trespasses. And again, let me explain this to the children. It's like if there's a line, supposing your mum and your dad drew a line somewhere and said, you cross that line, you're in real trouble. There's a line that you cross over, you do not go across that line. Well, that's what trespasses is, whereas God has drawn a line, a, a marker, a boundary path, and we've said, no, we're going to cross it. Sin, it's a different word, and it carries this idea of missing the mark. And again, boys and girls, when you go to school and you get a test, then the teacher will ask you to do certain things, or you'll, you'll get maybe in, later on when you get an exam, you've got to get 50% right. And if you get 40% right, you've missed the mark, and you've failed. It's the idea of falling short of the standard. And what the Bible is teaching all of us is that there are sins of what we call omission and commission. Omission is when we don't do something good that we're supposed to do, and commission is when we do something bad that we're not supposed to do. Before God, we are both rebels and failures. Isaiah 59 verse 2, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. How does that make us dead though? There's a Jewish midrash, a Jewish commentary teaching on Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5, which speaks of the wicked who even in their lifetime are called dead. And this is a hard thing for us to grasp but a life without God is a living death. There's a big fashion just now for zombies. And if you were in Glasgow uh, a few weeks ago, you could have taken part in a zombie movie. Um, There were all kinds of comments made about Glasgow, which are really unfair, and I shouldn't really repeat them. But I did think, I did quite like the one that said, Glasgow is full of people pretending to be zombies today. How is it different from any other day? Uh, Which I thought was a bit unfair. But the idea of a zombie is, the, is, is the, the, the living dead, people walking around as though they were the living dead. Actually, the Bible got there first. The Bible says that human beings, with all our beauty, with all our potential, with all our activity, with all our thoughts, with all our actions, we are dead. We are dead in a way that uh, negates so much of our humanity. That's because we're created by God and for God, and yet we live without Him. And that very simply explains what is so wrong in so many people's lives, that they are living yet not living, that they are seeking and not finding. There's a… for those of you who are into theology, if you're into semi-Pelagianism, and Brian's daughter is going to be baptized in a while, so uh, Brian will tell you what semi-Pelagianism is uh, another time. But semi-Pelagianism has this idea that human beings aren't really spiritually dead. We're just sick. We're on our sickbed, and what we need to do is be given medicine, and then we'll be okay, and the medicine is the medicine of the gospel. And actually, most Christians are semi-Pelagians in that sense. We find it really hard to grasp that people are spiritually dead, and yet that is what the text tells us, that we are spiritually dead, and it, it, it is… It is uh, we cannot serve, we cannot please, we, we cannot worship God when we are spiritually dead. One of the consequences of that is that we're trapped, verse 2, which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work, and those who are disobedient. We walked, we followed. Walk is the way of life, we walked with the crowd, but we did not walk with Jesus. Spiritual deadness doesn't mean that we don't have a will. We do, but it does mean that what we will is wrong. We lived as we wanted, but then why did we live like that? And there are two reasons given. One is following the course of this world, the age of evil and darkness. The world here is human society governed without God human society, a social value system without God. John Stott puts it beautifully. He says it's secular, repudiating God, it's amoral, repudiating absolutes, and it's materialistic, glorifying the consumer market. We live in a world which is full of racism and hatred and poverty and hunger, where people do not think for themselves very often, but live in a pop culture where others do the thinking for them. It's a cultural bondage. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, all you have to do is go home, get a newspaper, and uh, just open it up, and you can go through, and you can see the examples of the darkness. I think it's Kendrick's song, Great is the darkness that covers the earth. And today, there are men and women and children who are in Sirte in Libya who are fighting and dying. Today, there's a prison, a report came out about the most violent uh, prison in Scotland is the women's prison, Cornton Vale. 489 assaults in that prison uh, last year. I visited Cornton Vale a couple of years ago, and it is one of the most depressing and oppressive places that you can ever be in. We live in a culture which is greatly confused about what marriage is, which seeks to undermine the institution of marriage, one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. We live in a culture where people don't know who they are. They don't really know what their purpose in life is. It's a great darkness. Neil Ferguson, in uh, his book History's Age of Hatred, says this, No matter how complex the administrative structure we study, we should not lose sight of the basic instincts buried with even the most civilized of men. The Bible is telling us that there is a darkness, and it's a darkness that is within. Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, out of which that novel, the film Apocalypse Now, was made, has uh, its main character towards the end, and Marlon Brando does this so well, just talking about the horror the darkness, the darkness. And there is that. There is an oppressiveness and a darkness over and within humanity. Again, let me ask the children, who is um, Jesus' number one enemy? What's he called? Hmm. Maddie. Satan, correct. Satan or the devil. And because of that, he's our number one enemy as well. And what this verse tells us, here's I've got another name for him, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's just talking about Satan, not as though he's floating up in the air, but it's using this idea of of the devil having this kind of really oppressive atmosphere. You know, sometimes you can go in a place and it's gray and it's dark and it's gloomy and you need the the sun to shine through. (coughs) Well… What Paul speaks of here is something that a lot of Christians don't even want to believe. I wonder, I mean, I think we say in theory that we believe in the devil, but I wonder if we believe in the sense that we experience. And what I mean by that is this. There's an awful lot that goes on in our life that is influenced and affected by Satan. I think we react way too much. Uh, to the kind of extremist teaching on the devil, where people see the devil everywhere. But we we overreact against that. We don't realize just how the devil uses things, uses personalities, uses ourselves, uses our circumstances, uses this world in order to oppress us. And he says, that's what you were. You were dead, and you were bound by this world, and you were bound by the devil. You were trapped. You were not free. He hasn't finished. Verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. It's the word sinful nature there sometimes translated the flesh, and that's not saying the meat on our bones. It's talking about fallen human nature. It's talking about the desires of body and mind. Now, it's not saying there's something wrong with natural bodily desires, food, sleep, uh, the desire for uh, companionship and so on. But it is saying that when your appetite for food becomes gluttony, when things become lust or laziness, then these natural desires become sinful desires. These include the sins of the mind, pride, false ambition, evil thoughts. That's why I put up Philippians 3 there. You'll see it. For it is we who are the circumcision. This is the religious people speaking. We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. Paul says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. And then he goes on to say, in my past, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, Uh, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. See, the flesh is not just when someone goes out and gets drunk. It's not just when people commit adultery. The flesh is pride and greed and legalism. The flesh is ultimately abject selfishness, the selfish human sinful nature. All that mattered to us was our world of self-centered there. It's all in there. Outside is the world, the prevailing secular culture. Inside is the flesh, the fallen human nature twisted with self-centeredness, and the devil is working in and through those. We are not without blame, but it's there. That's what we were. That's what many of us, perhaps, still are. It is a, a difficult teaching about human nature, and it's not over verse 3, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Wrath is a word for anger, and here it's for God's just anger. So contrary to what our society says, we are taught that people are born into this world in a state of innocence with no bias towards either good or evil. But if that were the case, where is the human society where there is no evil? There isn't one. We are not born neutral, we are born, fallen. We are born opposed to God. We are children of wrath. Wrath is anger in actions. God' anger is pure and holy. Now again, let me say to the boys and girls when we talk about God's anger, it's not the kind of anger that you have when you get in a temper, and it's not even the kind of anger that your mum or dad may have when they get in a temper, because your mum and dad are sinners too. I uh, when I get angry a lot of the time, it's not like God's anger. But God's anger is always good in a strange way. It's always good. It's always pure, and it's always deserved. It's not temper. It's not spite. It's not malice. It's not animosity. It's not revenge. It's not arbitrary. It is God's personal, righteous, constant hostility to evil. He will not compromise with it. He will not give into it. He will not give in to evil. Now, we should be grateful for this and thank God for it, because to have a world without a God like that would be a world where there is no justice and there would be peace, but not in reality. By nature, it says, we are objects of wrath. Romans 5, verse 12 to 14, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned, For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. Now, what's really important about this is that virtually every part of our culture and society, and many religious people as well, will say this, they talk about faith in human nature. I have faith in human nature, they say. It is a blind faith. It is not a rational faith. And the reason for this is because what they believe doesn't work. People talk about faith in human nature saying, at heart, we are good, and all we need to do is bring out the good within people. But human beings are not naturally good. And until you recognize that, you won't look for the solution. Let me ask the children this: Who goes to a doctor? Who? Why would you go to a doctor, Fraser? If you feel, or or to feel better, to feel better, and why is that? Because you're not feeling good, because you're sick. If you feel good, would you go to a doctor? No. Exactly. You only go to a doctor if you feel sick, and it's the same way with Jesus. People say, "Well, what do we need Jesus for?" I was in St Andrews this week. And I got a classic example of this. St. Andrews is a fascinating place, especially when you go and speak at the university. And uh, afterwards, this uh, lady approached me. She was a student. And she was a wee bit upset at me. And she said, you know, you said that people get upset uh, at people becoming Christians. She says, I don't get upset at people becoming Christians. She said, I'm quite happy if they can do whatever they want. And I said, okay. I said, fine. I said, do you not feel yourself having any need? She said, "What what do I have need of God for? She said, I'm, I'm, well, I'm well off. I'm in St. Andrews. I've, you know, that's heaven. What, what, what more do you need? I mean, she was. She was well off. She's with lots of beautiful young people. She's doing what she wants to do. She doesn't see any need for God whatsoever. And I said to her, well, you're right. There's nothing that I can actually say to you that will make any difference because you feel satisfied and complacent. And I said, but meanwhile, outside your little cocoon world that you live in, and that's in St. Andrews, even in St. Andrews, there are people who are starving, there are people who are fighting, there is evil, and at some point in your life, you're going to have to face up to that directly, because you're not always going to be like this. But in a way, she was right. She saw no need. That's why in our culture, so many people, they look and they say, well, what do we need Jesus for? Uh, I heard service on the radio this morning where the, the minister was saying, we want a kind of moderate religion that we can live with in our culture. But what if our culture is sick? What if we are sick? Why did the prostitutes come to Jesus and the wealthy largely did not? The Pharisees didn't. Why didn't they? Why did the prostitutes come? Why did Matthew the tax collector come? Because they felt their need, because they knew that there was something wrong if you think there's nothing wrong, you won't bother with Jesus. So it's a very, very radical description that Paul makes. He says, this is what you were. Realize what you were. You were dead, you were trapped, and you were objects of God's anger. And let me say this to you, and and that's why I said, in a way, this is offensive. If you are not a Christian, you are dead, you are trapped, and you are objects of God's anger. But there is a very important but there. But because of His great love, and this is the very heart of the gospel, because of His great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Now, this is extraordinary. We are now made alive. Now, Paul earlier had been speaking about the power of God, and he says, here are human beings who are so dead that even if God speaks to them, they won't hear. Here are human beings who are so dead that when they're asked to do good, they cannot do it. What is the solution? Obviously, religion is not the solution. More speaking is not the solution. That's not the solution. What is the solution? The solution is that God Himself comes by His Holy Spirit and works the same power in dead, spiritually dead human beings that He worked in Jesus Christ in raising His body from the dead. God speaks, and new life comes. There is movement. Movement is evidence of resurrection. We move to Christ. We're made alive in Christ. Christ, the Son of God. Christ who was born, lived, and died for His people. Christ who died to give us life. That's what we go for, or that's what happens to us. Sometimes when people hear this, they go, well, wait a minute. I'm now really concerned because I want to follow God. I want to become a Christian. You're telling me I can't because I'm dead. Where does that leave me? My answer to that is very simple. If that even bothers you, you're not dead because it's an indication that God's Holy Spirit is at work in your life. Because I'll tell you right now, even I suspect there's even some of you here that as I'm saying this, your minds are on 101 other things, this just washes over you. It has no, it has no impact at all, upon you at all. And there are many other people. If I go out and I could, I could fall on my knees and plead with them and weep and cry with them, and all they would think is, you're mad. They, they, it doesn't matter if you don't grasp and you don't see. But I know this, the minute that someone starts thinking, hang on, what if it's a sign of, of, of God's Spirit being at work? It is God who initiates in that. It is God who raises to life. I remember sometimes in my darkest moments spiritually, and there are most of us have periods when we get discouraged, when we get depressed and when we doubt, that uh, I, I remember one time going through something like that and then thinking, "Do you know, if I wasn't a Christian, why would I be bothered? Why would it affect me? It's because I want to belong to Jesus that this really does bother me, that this really does affect me. Why would you be depressed and discouraged about not knowing a God who you thought wasn't there? That doesn't make any sense. And that's why Paul talks about this wonderful thing when the Holy Spirit comes and the things of God begin to become alive for us. And he says we're saved. Verse 5, it is by grace you have been saved. It's a great term. You're in the darkness. You're trapped. You're under God's wrath, and you are saved from all of that. You're not given a chance. You're not partially saved, but you are completely saved from all of that. And he uses another expression, a wonderful expression in verse 6. You're raised. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Let me ask the boys and girls, where's Jesus just now? Up in heaven. Correct answer. He is up in heaven. And by His Holy Spirit, He can be present with us as well. It's an amazing thing. But He is up in heaven. You know what this verse says? It says, we're raised with Him as well, but I'm not up in heaven just now. But because He sends His Holy Spirit and because of what Jesus has done, then there's that sense in which that has already happened. Christ's resurrection is ours. Christ's ascension is ours. We are seated with Christ. We are there with Christ. We are in Christ. We belong to Christ. We are on the inside with immediate access to the throne. We have gone from being spiritually dead, not even being able to hear the voice of God, to being able to go right into the very heart of heaven, and when we pray, we are talking to the God of the whole universe. We are alive in Christ. There's an extraordinary film, Italian film, um, A Beautiful Life. It really is just a, 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 an incredible film about uh, the Holocaust, actually, and it's a, it's a comedy, and yet it's not a comedy. It's a bittersweet comedy, and when I first heard of it, I thought, nah, that, that'll never work. Um, how can you have something that's got humor and it's to do with something so serious as the Holocaust? but it works extraordinarily well. It's a beautiful, beautiful film. And um, in part of that film, in one of the the most difficult of circumstances, one of the (coughs) heroes of the film kind of says this, I feel so alive. It's not existing. It's more than that. It's life. I think there are many of us, and sometimes, you know, as Christians, we can stumble back into this who we are existing we are going on from day to day we are just pulling through and sometimes you have to do that sometimes that's all that there is but we want so much more than that we want to be alive we want to be vibrant and that's what is promised when you come to know Jesus Christ paul says that's what you are as christians god is rich in mercy he's given you life he's made your life alive, alive. God has raised you up with Christ. But why has He done it? Well, He gives the why there. It's for His grace. It's because of His great mercy. It's not because of the good that that is within us. A religious person will go to God and will say, Lord, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I am this, I am this, I am this. It doesn't work. Not with the God of the Bible, because you can't negotiate with the God of the Bible when you're spiritually dead it's not of works so that we can boast. It comes entirely from God's grace. Verse 7 says that he might show his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You see, when you read about the anger of God, there's an there's a instinctive, oh, I don't want… and we need to understand what that anger is. But Paul puts that together with the kindness of God. Again, uh, let me ask the children, when someone's kind to you, what do they do? Tell me a kind thing that they would do. Sophia? Give you a cuddle. Great one. They would forgive you? I'll for you if you're sad. Yeah, if they're kind, that's exactly what they'll do. What else will a kind person do? They'd be kind to you. And how would they do that, Fraser? Like if your dad's going to be kind to you, what would he do to be kind to you? Give you sweets. Absolutely. That's exactly what he would do. Do you know, you guys, you've got this absolutely right. The kindness of God, it's in, in the Bible, it's a very, very deep and a very profound word. And I'm not trying to be trite when I say, yes, it is like God giving you a cuddle. And yes, it is God, uh, in a sense, giving you sweets, but giving you things that make your life pleasant and encourage you. And yes, it's, it's God showing something. We, 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 we don't deserve this. It's just this incredible kindness. You see, if you have a religion which says, well, I can do this, this, and this, and therefore God will give me this, this, and this, you never have a kind God. You always have a slot machine God who's giving you, just does things in response to who you are. But if you accept what the Bible is teaching here, then the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is an immensely kind God. And He does this that He might show His grace and kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And He does this, it says in verse 7, the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. There is an expression that might be used, it's a horrible expression that can be used of somebody, oh, he's no oil painting. Well, you don't really want to hear that about yourself. Um, A painting shows a great deal about the artist. Actually, when it comes to us, we can talk about being an an oil painting, because God is the greatest artist of all, and we are His art exhibits. Um, I think it's on… is it that wall, Steve, that your stuff is? That's Steve's latest art, and it tells you a great deal about Steve. Go and have a look at the empty suitcase. Well, it's not an empty suitcase. He will explain it to you. But it tells you a lot about the artist when you look at them. The other ones on that side are from different people. Here's an extraordinary thing God saves you as a Christian so that he can show to the angels and he can show to the world how kind and gracious he is. That's an extraordinary thing. When God wants to show his kindness, He saves people. How does He do it? We'll look next week at another reason why about we're created to do good works. How does God save? You have been born again, says Peter, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord stands forever, and this is the Word that was preached to you. It's simple how God does it. Jesus Christ was dead, but God's power raised him. You were spiritually dead, God's power raised you. The people around you may be spiritually dead, but God's power will raise them. If you you may think my colleagues in my office, my family, you know, a lot of Christians believe that God works tremendous miracles in China or God worked tremendous miracles in the past, or we keep hearing about other places where God works miracles, and we say, but here, no. Why not? Why not your son? Why not your daughter? Why not your parents? Why not your friends? Why not your family? Why not your workmates? Ah, but they're they're, they're not interested. Yes, they're dead. Of course they're not interested. But don't you believe in the Holy Spirit? Don't you believe that that's what the gospel is? You are dead, but Jesus Christ raises them. They begin to wake up, and He does it through His Word. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. It's a bit like um, you've got some ground that's pretty dead, and then someone puts some seed in it. And that seed somehow just begins to show life, and it begins to develop, and it grows into a wonderful plant. Every time we proclaim God's Word, God holy… Holy Spirit takes that Word and ensures that the seed of His Word will never return to Him empty. That's the kindness and the greatness of God, and that really is the gospel. The gospel is that we're in a far worse condition than we imagine we possibly could be, and until we grasp that, we're really going to struggle. But the gospel is also that we are far more loved than we ever imagined that we could be and that God in His power regenerates and recreates. So, if you are not a Christian, and you're here and you're hearing this, and it's beginning to connect in your head, and you're thinking, wait a minute, is this true? Does this make sense? Then I ask you simply that you pray that God would grant you His Holy Spirit. Jesus makes a very simple promise he said, if you're, you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That is in God's will. If you are a Christian, then, and you're really battered and struggling with so many different things, maybe one of the things you need to do is refocus in how you think, get your theology right, grasp that, of course, human beings are going to behave like this because there's this spiritual deadness, this oppression, but we don't give up and we don't give in because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and Jesus Christ is Lord and the Holy Spirit continues to work. Let's pray. Lord thank You for Your Word. We pray You would bless it to us. We ask that we would know the renewing power of Your Holy Spirit. Lord we have nothing. All our clever arguments, all our good deeds, All our acts of righteousness, they're just like filthy rags in comparison with what is needed. We can put sticking plaster on. What we cannot do is create a new heart, but you can, and we pray that you would do so. Amongst us all here, that you would renew and revive, and amongst all those whom we meet and all those whom we love, O Lord, may your Holy Spirit, we plead with you, may your Holy Spirit regenerate Grant new birth, grant new life, for we ask it in your name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically as well as Christian commentary on the latest current affairs in Scotland please visit the website of Solace the Centre for Public Christianity at solace-cpc.org Once again that's www.solas-cpc.org Thanks for listening. Thank you